Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be exploring systems change and talking to 2023 systems change grant recipient, the Coconino Coalition for Children and Youth. We're going to be talking about their self-healing community system and policy change in Coconino County. We'll be joined by members of the coalition, including Virginia Watahamaji, Executive Director, Becky Daggett, Mayor of Flagstaff, and Andrea Marinick, Clinical Director with Northland Family Help Center. First things first, let's start with introductions. Virginia, you're with the lead organization, so if you can start us off, your name, your background, your organization's history and mission, and that should level set us. Thank you for having us here today. My name's Virginia Wadahamaji, and I'm the Executive Director of the Coconino Coalition for Children and Youth. I've been in that position about six years. Prior to that, I spent the majority of my career working in the treatment and response world of child welfare and behavioral health. So working in residential treatment, the foster care world, treatment foster care. So being able to come to an organization that's on the prevention side, on the community healing side was really rewarding. Obviously appreciate the work of my 20-year career of working directly with children and families and really gained an understanding of the trauma and the difficulties in our community. So to be on this side of it, to be on the prevention side has been really The coalition has been around for 50 years. We actually just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. And our mission is to ignite collective action that makes better lives for children and families. And so basically, that means that we believe when members of the community come together, they create solutions, they solve problems, they impact policy. And so really, it's a collective action movement to make lives better for those in Coconino County and out from there. So thank you for having us. Thank you. Mayor, if you could give us a little bit about your background, and obviously you know what the city of Flagstaff does, but tell us what you're sort of focused on right now. Sure thing. I was elected mayor last November. I was previously the vice mayor on the city council. I've been involved in the community for many years in education, in nonprofit management, arts and culture, as well as with the Flagstaff Family Food Center. So I have a very broad perspective of the community. And when Virginia approached me about this, it was just a natural fit to a lot of the issues and concerns that I've been grappling with as mayor. And I saw so many opportunities. So that's what got me involved in all of this. Thank you, Mayor. And then Andrea, if you can finish us off on the introductions. Yeah, thanks so much. So I'm clinical director at Northland Family Help Center. We're a victim service agency in Flagstaff and serving Northern Arizona. And our mission is to provide safe haven advocacy, counseling, and education to promote and restore healthy relationships. So I've been a counselor since 2009 and been at Northland since 2013. And in that work, I've really been able to provide trauma therapy for many community members, as well as feel so lucky that I work for an advocacy organization where I'm able to participate in these larger community initiatives where we're creating systems that meet the needs of more and more community members as we go along. So Northland's been around for 45 years. This is our 45th anniversary. In addition to free counseling for victims of crime, we have a domestic violence shelter and a youth shelter. We have runaway homeless youth, street outreach, We have legal advocacy and we have initiative against trafficking, Flagstaff initiative against trafficking housed at Northland Family Help Center, as well as a community education program. So we're doing many things in the community at Northland. Great. Thank you so much for that. This is for all of you or whoever wants to tackle it first. Give us a little background on Coconino County. We have listeners from across the state and sometimes even outside of the state. So They may not be aware of what it's like up in Coconino County in the Flagstaff area. What makes Coconino County a unique place in Arizona? So what's unique about Coconino County is one, just the natural environment. 
Coconino County is home to the Grand Canyon, as well as expansive areas of importance to the indigenous peoples of the area, ranging from forest to Monument Valley, you name it, we've got the natural environment in Coconino County. It's also a really large, expansive environment. It's actually the second largest land area county in the entire nation. So it's a very large area. So within that, we have large communities like Flagstaff, Arizona, but then we have very large rural population outside of that and across both tribal lands and national and public lands. So that makes the county very unique. It's also a really unique place in that it's such a diverse population of individuals. Besides demographic information, the political spectrum, the activities, the community is a very diverse population across Coconino County. So really honoring and respecting the different perspectives that are present in Northern Arizona has also been really important for us. Virginia, those questions for you. Let's go into what your coalition saw as the needed systems change. And this is sort of a unique thing that doesn't happen very often. It's happened before, but here at Vitalist, we have a multi-tiered grant system. The initial level is the SPARK grant, which is you have a spark of a good idea and we'll give organizations a planning grant for a year, usually up to $25,000. And you can take that and run with it and figure out what the systems change solution is. And you guys did that. So what did you guys find out during your initial SPARK grant in terms of the issues that Coconino County citizens were facing? How did you listen to the community? What did you find out from them? The trajectory for this project actually goes back six years. So we were really, as a collective, As a group who's very interested in trauma-informed practices, we have a child abuse prevention council, we have annual conferences, we were really expanding our look at the research around trauma and resiliency, around the effects and impacts of adverse childhood experiences. And one of the national speakers we brought in, his name was Kevin Campbell. He's internationally known for his work in the child welfare realm. He's been behind national policy here in the United States. And we brought him in specifically to look at the history of the child welfare system. How did things end up the way they are? Really looked at injustices and inequities. And he spent a lot of time in Northern Arizona. And on his way out, he said, look into self-healing communities. And so I started looking into that. There was extensive research on it, and we really started wanting to move in that direction. So we brought Kevin back out. He did some training for us specific to self-healing communities. And so we had reached the point where we felt like we raised all this awareness. Now, what do we do with it? And one of the key tenets of self-healing communities is that you don't go into a community and do something to them. It's really the community, when the community is informed, the community has its own solutions and its own ideas. And so really important work to do is that it's go into the community and hear their voice. And the SPARK grant with Vitalist was what really allowed us to be able to do that. It really shifted us from collecting awareness and really getting the energy around this to doing something with it. And so we spent a year with small focus groups and key informant interviews, really just hearing what are people's experiences around the county. We partnered with Building Community, which is an organization here in Northern Arizona. And the owner, Renee Redday, has been a longtime member of the coalition, a former board member. And she started her group specifically to build genuine and authentic relationships with the community. And so We have, as a coalition, really strong relationships, and we felt like she could even further that for us. So she really helped us. So between her and myself, we were having these small focus groups, we were having these key informant interviews, and really got to learn what are the sources of well-being in the community and what are really the sources of stress, trauma, and despair in the community. I also would note that we really prioritize getting into groups and individuals that historically may have lacked voice within our systems and who may be 
experiencing more traumas and injustices than some communities. So we really prioritize hearing voices of individuals who don't always get the microphone. And so that SPARK grant has now led us into the systems change grants. We're, we're really excited about how strong the foundation is that this project is built on. Thank you so much. So let's switch gears for a little bit, just so that here at Vitalist, we talk a lot about systems change. So what does it mean for you? What do you all think it takes to create meaningful, lasting systemic changes that improve the health of communities? I could jump in here quickly with, I think, maybe a broader brush than our other two guests. They can go deeper. But one thing that I've seen throughout my career in Flagstaff of community organizing and such is that really, I think the number one thing that's needed is the capacity to take on the program. And that's by both community organizations and community leaders. And by community leaders, I am not talking about just members of the city council. I am talking about leaders throughout the community. Often our work is so intense and we're focused on fundraising to be able to do our work. And we're just running in so many directions that having the capacity, having something like this grant to give some breathing room and some thinking room to organizations and to individuals is critical. And then after that capacity, I would say is commitments and real commitments from community groups and leaders to meaningfully participate. And that means be active, be be in the change and be helping to bring more people to it and all of these people creating that change. I think that's really essentially how you bring about that change. You've got to have a large number of people committed to that change and a large number of people who recognize the problem as significant enough that it's worth their time to participate in making that change. Thank you, Mayor. Andrea, Virginia, do you have anything you'd like to add? This is Andrea. I'll just tag on to what Mayor Daggett said. I think that one of the keys to lasting system change is really this relationship building. And something I really love to quote, I think is actually like a Stephen Covey quote, but I heard it through Adrienne Marie Brown talking about facilitation, is this sense of resting into moving at the speed of trust. It doesn't mean that we're not taking action but that we're able to let this trustworthiness really be the guide. And then this integration of applied principles. And we can talk a little bit later about what are these guiding principles of the self-healing communities model? What are these guided principles of the trauma-informed care models? But really understanding that systems change is a community design task and that is built on these genuine relationships that we have And this understanding and capacity that there is so much for a city and county to do. And so this piece that the mayor is speaking to about building connections and communication around the relevance of some of these applied principles in the specific arena that each person is working in, right? If you talk about self-healing communities, it's a really broad brush. And so what I think there's a quality of meeting with people and talking things through and giving ourselves the time and space to do that. While we understand that there is an urgency, we can cultivate a timelessness that is in the realm of this trauma-informed or resiliency-informed work so that we can begin to work together and sort of have this alchemy, to use the podcast name, this spark to begin to ignite. Virginia, is there anything you want to add? The only thing I'll add, because they stated it beautifully, is that's why I stress how long going back up and how much we've woven in keynote conference speakers and just going back years of touching on topics like historical trauma and bringing in speakers who can really speak to that, building up resources on our website from the research to For example, Ia Afa was an important consultant on this project. We have her historical trauma trainings on our website that anyone can go. And the reason why I just stress all that is because people are at the table with a genuine, authentic understanding of the needs and the desires of how to they want to be a part of something. This isn't a one and done. We got a grant. Let's 
hash it out in three months and walk away. But it's really, it's been a very long process and we expect it to continue to be a very long process going forward. Let's go back into the community input that that was sought out through that initial Spark grant. What was the proposed systems change that you all took based on that community feedback? And what's the proposed systems change that the coalition developed? Yeah, so when we looked at all of the information as a whole, three issues kind of rose to the surface that were the most repeated across these interviews and focus groups. One, there was a high amount of concern related to substance use and the trauma of that in the county. So both from young people and parents and caregivers and school systems, substance use was at the forefront. And as a side note, our previous data and working with the county, really the data of substance use in the county supports why this would be on the forefront of our community's minds. Another issue that was really front and center was equity and justice issues, especially when it came to racial components within the community. The long history of historical injustices and current injustices and individuals really, the whole spectrum from distrust to the remembrances of things that have happened are happening. And then the third thing that came to the surface was system cause pain and frustration. So when systems butt up against individuals and their families and they're causing harm, so to speak. And so a really easy example of that is young people talking about their families being separated into foster care. And when substance use, they're watching individuals go to prison for substance use instead of receiving treatment or going into a system for help and feeling like no one truly hears them or understands or gets it or listens. So there was a lot of these stories that came forward that really just demonstrated how folks, any of us can be up against pain and trauma, but then the systems can not always be helpful when we butt up against that. So one of the things we were thinking is that the systems change level is if systems were to approach from this trauma-informed system lens, which I know Andrea has a wealth of information (laughs) that I welcome her to talk about. But the idea of this trauma-informed systems change raises awareness within the system about trauma, not only for our outward, how am I interacting with the public or the clients or the individuals I'm serving, but also how do we as the team, as the system, also care and treat for each other? So we really looked at both the city and the county as such large systems. They touch virtually everyone in Coconino County. It was the largest systems and pathways we could think of to reach as many individuals as possible. It also is an unfortunate time period over the last few years where communities have just been hit with extra trauma. I mean, we've got wildfires and flooding in addition to global pandemics. And these systems are also often on the front lines of those incredible forces of nature and things that are happening. So in addition to the stress of the community, we're also really paying attention to the stress of the systems as well. Andrea, I invite you to really share anything else from there. Something I think that is useful is to kind of talk about what are these principles of self-healing communities and trauma-informed care. And so for self-healing communities, we're talking about things like inclusive leadership and leadership expansion, creating learning communities, and really being oriented to these emergent capacities or emergent capabilities that communities have. And we really do want to engage the entire community, focused on the city and county right now, in engagement around understanding what's going on in terms of neuroscience, epigenetics, adverse childhood experiences, and resilience research, and finding some right right fit solutions, building hope and efficacy, even around facing difficulties. Those are are some principles that we want to bring forward, as well as trauma-informed care. And this comes from SAMHSA, and I, I think that these are good principles as well to be oriented to, right? So this sense of building safety, looking at what that means across lots of different arenas, 
large scale and small scale. Trustworthiness and transparency, a sense of peer support. So an understanding of who has walked this path and how can someone who's walked this path hold the hands of others who have walked that path or who are trying to walk that path. Collaboration and mutuality, empowerment and choice, and an awareness of historical, cultural, and gender issues. Some of what systems change that we're proposing is emergent and collaborative with the communities that we're going to be engaging with departments in the city, departments in the county, and the community at large. Thank you for that background. Now let's go into each one of your roles in this coalition. What are each one of your organization's roles? And for the partners that aren't present, who are they and what are their roles within this systems change? The coalition is really the container of we've written assessments and really looked at the connection between adverse childhood experiences and and substance use in the county. We really looked at developing taking all the local data and the national data that we can find and really putting it into a prevention lens. And that's just across our work. So we're kind of the container of carrying this information, collecting this information and finding really great ways to share it out, whether it's through conferences or webinars or a weekly newsletter, that type of thing. We're also the logistics. So we'll set up the meetings and we're making sure we're fulfilling all our obligations and keeping everyone in contact. But we also, with our technical knowledge, we're able to be in the community having these trainings to go before our partners and be able to present on adverse childhood experiences, the resilience research and all of that. So we're both kind of the technical and informational hub, so to speak. But we recognize that a really strong partnership brings in a lot of partners. So I I definitely want Mary Daggett and Andrea to speak to their lens. I'll just quickly note some of the partners who aren't here today. Coconino County is a large partner. Health and Human Services Department specifically is really has their own initiatives with trauma-informed practices. And we're really excited to partner with them and help spread that out through the large county system. Everyone from Supervisor Hortzman on down through the Health and Human Services leadership has been extremely supportive and really helpful in getting us started on this project. Other technical advisors we have is the Adverse Childhood Experiences, the ACES Consortium for Arizona. Angie's been a a great partner on this for technical assistance and also connection into the statewide and national voice as well when it comes to this work. Jacqueline Salabai is a member of our board of directors. She's been a technical advisor. She's done a lot of work through her current positions and previous positions, collecting and working with and being a part of Indigenous voice collection. So she's a long history of doing that. She really helps us understand and build off the work that she's done. And so we have the two large systems, Flagstaff and the county, but we also try to wrap ourselves around with many technical experts to help really expand our knowledge base. I would also mention building community and EAFO that I mentioned before, both that connection to really strong, genuine voice connection in the community wasn't just important up front, and it will be important throughout the project. And Ia's work with historical trauma and really as a consultant around that has been very important for our work as well. Mayor Daggett, were you part of this initial planning process? I know you were on, you were vice mayor during this stage. What's the city's role in this? I came in when Virginia reached out to me and said, do you see a place for this? And we were coming off of a really significant flood. And I saw in our neighborhoods, the trauma that was coming from that. And I saw altercations that could have escalated even further between city staff and residents just because of fatigue, stress, fear, 
anger, every emotion that you could think of. And that's what I immediately thought of is, yeah, we have staff who have daily interactions with the public. And there's a very good chance that both entities are coming at it from some sort of trauma or stress in their lives. And that, I mean, we see how that escalates. And then the more we talked, the more I just thought of all the other ways that involving the city could really help to bring about the community-wide change. And we're so fortunate to have a city manager who pretty immediately saw the benefit of this and got involved and committed the city to participating. So I think, I mean, both from our employee standpoint and from our presence in the community, whether it be through firefighters, police department, streets department, parks and rec, everything, we are interacting with so many people and it's important that we be part of the solution of um, helping people come together to solve problems from a less adversary position and aware of what they're feeling at the time when they're having that interaction. So that's really how I how I see the city's participation. We also have big platform for getting the word out about this information. And so we're just, we're really excited to be a part of it. And we're really excited to live in a community and be part of shaping a community that is treating each other in a kinder way and getting our problems solved in a more human-to-human way and less bureaucratic-to-human way. Thank you so much, Mayor. And then, Andrea, what about you? Yeah, so starting in July, I'll be the new board president of the Coconino Coalition for Children and Youth. And my involvement goes back to 2005-2006 when I was beginning grad school for counseling and became aware of the coalition through some AmeriCorps service I was doing. And at that time, was really doing community education around shifting the paradigm for the community to take a look at youth as an asset and a resource and ways to support and mentor youth. And that was focused on the Search Institute's 40 developmental assets model. And returned in 2013 with a focus on developing some of the self-healing communities education that Virginia was talking about, beginning to stitch together what other social service providers were looking for. That's sort of, you know, my lens. And I think as a social service provider, I'm really lucky because, especially as a counselor, I have access to, it's actually like my board of behavioral health examiners required that as I'm skilling up, I get a lot of support in terms of learning how to do my work, learning by learning how to manage myself, learning how to support other people. And for so long, I've been really interested in like, that's a really great model to support each other in terms of our service oriented jobs. How can we have more connection and support in learning how to show up for the difficulty of our work and, and show up? in community with our coworkers, as well as show up for those folks that we're serving and really be in deep collaboration. So we've been really interested as well in building skills for mindfulness um, for our coalition members, as well as self-compassion. So that when we have, when we're skilled up around some of the stresses that Mayor was speaking about, we can regulate ourselves and really meet the moment of difficulty because we are having so many very stressful climate impacts in our community, as well as psychological trauma and inequality impacting us all. So yeah, that's a little bit of my background with the coalition. All right, so let's get into outcomes. I know y'all are just starting on the systems change 
a portion, at least with some of the vitalist funding. But what are the outcomes that the coalition hopes to really enact as part of the systems change? So if, let's just go through each one of them. At the end of this, what is the hope? Yeah. So I would say the overarching hope is for the policy and system change to enact a change of heart and a change of interaction for the individuals of our community. And so when I think about what Mayor Daggett was saying earlier about these stressful interactions, when I think of a community that's well-informed around trauma adverse experiences, when I think of a community that's aware of biochemistry and biological responses, both within themselves and within others, I think a couple of different things can happen. One, we're much less likely to look with eyes that are blaming and shaming others who are different than us or at a different point in life than us or having different experiences than us. We're much more likely to look at situations with a lens of compassion and empathy and a mind for how do we enact policy and really every way my sphere of influence impacts a situation, whether it's my voting or how I reach out, is more geared towards solutions than blame and shame. From within the system, I think when we have these understandings, it changes how people show up in their individual lives, both at work and just out in the community and at home with their families. And so when we are aware and self-regulating our own emotions, it changes how we're interacting with others. One of the things that really impacted me was a keynote speaker we had years ago, Laura Vandenut-Lipsky, who's the founder of Trauma Stewardship. And she told the story of, we've all had that moment in our lives where the worst has happened, the most horrible thing has happened. And the person, the system, the individual that responds doesn't necessarily fix that. They don't necessarily bring, push back the flood water or bring back the lost loved one. But they were there in that moment in a present state of mind that was human and it was connected. And so I think when we come from that, the awareness we're planning to raise, the training that we're planning to do, and the policy changes how we interact with each other, both on our team members. So we're supporting those who are on our team and who are doing the difficult work and have their personal and professional stresses. But then we're also able to support our community members who are maybe coming to us for assistance in in that time of their life. That is the difficult, challenging time in their life. So that's all a lot of words to say that I think there's a lot of little minute outcomes we're looking for. Numbers trained and you know, how much did I learn in this training, that type of thing. But I think the overarching, the core of it is that we have that subtle shift within ourselves that changes how we react, how we think and how we respond. And to really think about a system, a community that now is coming from a place of connection, heart and our responses that will make a positive change versus that trauma, stress, anger, frustration, where we're not necessarily making decisions from our frontal lobes and cortex. Mayor Daggett, Andrea, I welcome your input on this as well. Love what you're saying, Virginia. And I think some of the specifics that we're looking at as well are county and city officials aware of near research and the impact of trauma in the community and in their own lives. As teams working together, trying to solve problems to meet sometimes impossibilities of unexpected fear in terms of the flooding example, you don't know, sometimes know where that water's going to come down. And working together and supporting each other as they're serving the public. Also, county and city officials and employees and team members aware of trauma-informed care and self-healing communities principles and to be able to know how to apply those principles in their own work and in their lives more broadly and hopefully create a more felt sense connection and support in all of our interactions, whether that's inward facing in our teams in departments, as well as outward facing to the public. Thank you so much. Mayor, 
I would love to hear from you on how this is played out through the city its departments, right? Whether it's first responders or public works, or, you know, whatever other departments are, should be aware of this. Yeah, I mean, listening to my colleagues, I think of additional ways that this could be beneficial. And I was listening and thinking of myself up on the dais, and we've had some contentious issues lately and what city council doesn't, right? There's just always a lot going on and not even just around contentious issues. I just hear and feel a lot of anger about a lot of things. And I do my best with the non-training I have in all of this to just listen and recognize that my part in this and my part in helping it not, I guess, build to an even bigger problem. Because throughout my involvement in the community and my involvement with city council at, from the other side, I witnessed some council members seeming to blow off people. I think it's a human reaction to not want to take on that kind of anger, frustration, anxiety, whatever, and to kind of turn it away. And I just see what that does then and the chain reaction it has with residents and with council and how that can make you feel as a person when you go home and you're like, wow, I just got yelled at for three hours. So I, I see this from like the smallest interaction all the way along the spectrum of how we respond and how we show up to a situation and to a person or to a group of people so impacts how all of those people turn around and show up for other people in the community, in their families. And I don't see that there would be a human being on the planet who couldn't benefit from learning this information. And because I know we all want to create a more compassionate society, a kind society. And to me, this is one of the fundamental roots of pushing past the, or understanding the angst and anxiety and getting to the heart of the issue in solving problems. So that's one of the many reasons why I'm very excited about this project. And I'm very excited for how it can impact the city and how we show up for the rest of the community, whether it's our parks and rec staff who are fixing a sprinkler at a park to our police department. I mean, policing is often the first thing that people think of when they're talking about trauma in a community. And I see the trauma on both sides, right? And I see how police officers and firefighters, I've talked to them and I've talked to them about the stresses in their lives and in their work. And I see how that can so easily show up in response to an emergency in the community and how it could be done differently and in a way where all parties come away feeling better. That was great. Can yeah. I just add real quick, for our concrete listeners and Vitalist is a health foundation, and I want to make sure I do a good job of putting a, a real bow on the health outcomes of this. The research is really clear that adverse childhood experiences have an impact, a negative impact on health outcomes later in life. But we also believe that these negative adverse experiences that happen don't just happen at home. They also happen out in the community. And so we you know, one, if we can help support training, knowledge, attainment, sometimes an individual who's stressed out at work will now not go home and bring that stress into their home, which could be a potential cause of trauma in the home is these stressful community actions entering in the home. Um, but also when individuals are going into systems looking for help, are they getting re-traumatized continuously? 
when our children show up to community events, are they being re-traumatized when they have traumatic behaviors that the community just doesn't understand? Are they then being ostracized and pushed away? So the levels of how we're hoping to impact health outcomes are rather vast that we think fundamentally, if we change how individual systems, communities are interacting with each other, we start impacting these root causes of what creates trauma in the first place, as well as what helps lead to resiliency as folks are coming out of trauma. Thank you, Virginia. I think that was a great way. And as the mayor was talking, all I kept thinking about was we often think about the community members who are most impacted by whether it's ACEs, whether it's community policies that may disproportionately impact them. But we also have to realize that there's an impact to people providing these services as well, right? I mean, there's burnout, there's all kinds of issues. And and so creating that resiliency for all members, right? So that everybody is in an environment where they're able to best deal with all the trauma that we're constantly being exposed to. For other communities who are considering embarking on a community-wide systems level change, whether it's a municipality, a city, a county, what advice would you have for them? Well, I can start. I would say the first thing I want to be really honest that we're also looking at the next three years of learning the answer to that question and really gaining our knowledge in that area. And really being on a, we're very open to course correcting as needed. We really want this to be a learning opportunity and to continuously grow and develop. So a part of this grant has really delved into our own efficacy and development and really changing course as we need to. But I would also just go back and reiterate about the authentic, genuine reciprocating relationships that we have. I mentioned six years ago, kind of delving into the historical trauma world and really starting on the self-healing communities world. But we're also talking about an organization that's 50 years old and has a long history of community volunteers stepping forward and saying, I want to make a change. I want to make a difference. We have 50 years of the coalition leading a back to school drive or bringing the community together to register to vote. There's a long history of the coalition being a trusted partner in the community that is kind of without conflict of interest, so to speak. It's nonpartisan. It's it's not pitting one service against the other. It's a place of voice and action and coming together. And that's really the purpose of it. And there's also just a lot of foundational material and resources within the coalition. The coalition itself is extremely small. We're very tiny organizations, staff-wise and resource-wise, as far as budget goes. But with our outreach coordinator, Frank Moraga, he's out there in networking meetings around the county every month. He has a weekly newsletter. We as a coalition have committee meetings. We're a place to bring people together, to share ideas, to bring support. And I think all the things we'll learn, that's a part of this grant, is we want to learn and share what we've done. We want to come up with some groundbreaking things and some real aha moments. And so I don't have those for you today that we'll share. But what I do know is we've built this on a foundation of trust and authenticity and really looking at why would someone want to partner with us? What are they getting out of it? How are we helping? And so really, hopefully that's come across to everyone who's a part of the coalition, whether they're directly on this project or not, is that idea of individuals coming together as a collective member, our members, our donors, our committee members, our partners on this project. There's just that really long history of trust and relationships and individuals feeling like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. My biggest advice would be don't try to create this out of thin air overnight. It really needs to come from a place of genuine and really thinking about not the one and done. How do you keep bringing in new ideas and new people and keep moving it forward? And as funding sources change, how do you keep the same theme, even if your funders are changing? And 
how do we not stop midstream to start chase another squirrel off to the side, but really what is the core why? And then how can we have everything feed into it? That's really wrapping its arms around from all sides. Thank you. What about you, Mayor? I think the same thing that Virginia just said, except I would describe it as get yourself a Coconino coalition for children and youth. Really this organization and the people that make up this organization are outstanding. And it's the trust that they've built over those 50 years that made me say yes so willingly and so quickly, because I know that they have the knowledge and the skills to make this happen. And I trust them and I trust getting the city involved. I mean, that's a lot of employees. So I trust getting the city involved in this work because of who they are. Andrea? Yeah, I guess, I guess some advice that I would have is if there's a system that you bump up against or that any of us bump up against and it's like, oh, that's just the way things are, but it's harmful. I think we can easily internalize that it's always been that way and always will be that way. And so I think it's really helpful. That's why I've loved working with Kevin Campbell um, and learning about the history of social services from the English poor laws, really understanding our history, how things get developed. I think that that's really, really helpful because it is important that we can hold on to our visions and see maybe we could influence this. And being ambitious and saying, sort of saying our dreams to those in our sphere of influence. And I think for us in the coalition, it's been coming together with lots of different intersecting types of backgrounds and saying, I see this here. I've seen this in this area, um, in various areas and finding what the thread is. And for us, the thread was moving in this direction. And I before I did counseling, I was in like working professionally doing like gardening and local food systems, regional food systems. And I think I'm really interested in those permaculture principles of how can we build a self-sustaining system? How can we build some systems that have less stress because the loops are closed (laughs) rather than these open systems? So I think for us too, looking at these systems around nature or humanity and seeing how we can be inspired and bring bring some of that inspiration into our community and follow that inspiration and sort of be curious of how it can emerge. Because I remember when Virginia first started as executive director of the coalition and I was had been involved but not on the board yet. And we were at a conference together and we started having some conversations about some of our passions and some of the things that our other members had brought to us. And we had no idea (laughs) that this would be where we would be. And so I think, you know, following those threads of curiosity to maintain that inspiration, because with big systems change, it can be exhausting. Sometimes it can seem impossible. (laughs) So I think also leaning on each other for that inspiration is some advice that I would have for others as well. Great. Thank you all so much for the background, the discussion that you've given us. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we may have missed during this conversation? I think other than a huge thank you to both Andrea and Mary Daggett for being able to be such an integral part of this and to all everyone connected to the coalition, all the partners, it just goes without saying how grateful we all are for each other. The the last piece I would add, and it kind of comes off what Andrea was just saying, I was presenting at a conference a week or so ago, and just the despair in the room, nothing seems to be going very well across multiple metrics. And the piece that I like to hold is a principle of self-healing communities kind of comes from quantum physics, and it allows for sudden change. It allows for 
unexpected change. It allows for kind of a bending of the time-space continuum when you least expect it. And we can all think of ways within society that a law, a, a decision changed overnight that changed the course of human history. What we don't often really pay attention to is the decades of work that went before that, but all of a sudden, boom, something has happened and it's very different. Eyes are open, people are aware, change has happened. And so as big as change is, as much as we're, I think we're all right now in a place as unfortunately of where we're just in places of despair and we see the news, we hear from inside the classrooms, we're, we're just hearing from all of that. I think remembering and holding that place that it could change quicker than we can imagine. Or, and we can also look back and be like, wow, it's six years. We didn't even know we'd be here. So kind of just stepping out of that normal time-space continuum and holding hope for dramatic change that takes place both at the system level and also if I impact someone today who impacts someone else tomorrow, that's huge in the lives of those individuals and that ripples out. So there's also the piece of we can't even understand as individuals in our communities the power of the ripple effect that we have. And so I just really want to leave everything on a hopeful note and really just share a lot of this work is really based on that too, is we're seeing these movements because we're being guided by our hope, by our forward vision and not from a place of despair and fear. But really, I think the partners have all come together with this vision of what things can be. And we move towards it in ways we can't even possibly predict or expect today. Mayor, Andrea, anything else you'd like to add? I love what Virginia just said. And I know myself just from personal experience, how vital it is to have the ability to come to a person as open-hearted as possible. I've seen the change in the dynamic that comes from that. And I'm still very much learning all of this, but I've witnessed it, I've experienced it. And I know that I know that it can be spread farther and can have huge impacts. Thank you all so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with us. Our hope is to better explain to general audience, I guess, in Arizona, on the nonprofit community and coalition community across the state, what it takes to enact systems change. So thank you all for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Vitalist Health Foundation for really making this possible. It's just incredible organization to work with, and I just can't say enough good things. So thank you so much for all your support over the many years like we discussed. So thank you. Your support is quite literally a game changer. 